Thanks, Timothy. Well, good morning. I'm glad that you are with us today. My name is Daniel, and I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, if you are a new guest, let me just say again, I'm really glad you're joining with us, connecting with us. We would love to connect more deeply with you, uh, so please let us know that uh, you are with us. College students, I want to say thank you for taking a break from studying uh, for finals to be with us. Uh, we really do miss you. Uh, I wish we could celebrate with the many of you who are graduating and will be moving out of the area uh, and God sending you all over the world. Uh, but we miss you. We're praying for you. Uh, others of you, thank you for taking a break uh, from watching The Last Dance, the new ESPN docuseries on Michael Jordan and his Bulls team. I know everybody right now is getting their sports fix during this sports vacuum by watching this series. I know I am. Uh, it's hard to believe that we are in our seventh week of quarantine. Uh, this has been a global moment that some have already named the Great Pause, a time that will be remembered in history when the whole world stopped, leaving us in uncertainty and isolation, a feeling that every single one of us is ready to be free from. Honestly, it feels like we've all been just kind of stuck. Unsure of the future, unsure how to move forward, we have more questions than we do answers. Though we're starting to see some glimmer of hope as the phases of lifting restrictions are introduced. And as you look back on the last two months of your life, how have you responded to this crisis? I was listening to a podcast this past week and I heard someone talk about three possible responses in this time of waiting and uncertainty. One response is the hard charging response. Those of us who when the crisis hit, we stepped on the accelerator. We wanted to figure out a way to solve the issue, be better in this time. You wanted to tackle the coronavirus head on. Deep inside, hard chargers yearn to perform well often finding their identity in what they do. Second response, a type of response, has been a turn back the clock response. Uh, those of us who have been trying to figure out a way to return to how things used to be, uh, to recreate the familiar, uh, deep inside there is a yearning for security in the familiar and the normal. The third type of response is a run and hide response. Those of us who are unsure how to cope. So there's this sense of hunkering down, forcing isolation, hiding until all of this passes. And deep inside, there's a yearning for comfort. Where have you found yourself in this time of uncertainty? This time where we're left with more questions than answers. Last May, Rachel, my wife, and I went on a five-day spiritual retreat. It was one of the best things we've done in our marriage. Uh, during the retreat, one of the speakers introduced a book called The Critical Journey. Uh, it's a book describing a Christian spiritual journey of faith. Uh, one of the middle steps uh, of the journey, the speaker talking out of the book mentioned the fourth phase titled The Wall. The wall is a season in your faith journey where you feel stuck. It is a season, perhaps for the first time as a Christian, where faith does not appear to work. That there are more questions than answers, wondering where God is, where is he going, how is he getting us there, when will this be over? 
Some early church fathers and early church mothers called this season the dark night. This season appears most often in crisis. Individually, it can come in the midst of crisis through a divorce, through the death of a loved one, through a cancer diagnosis, through a betrayal, through a disillusioning church experience, through a wayward child, or a deep desire to get married that remains unfulfilled. And the list could go on. In the book, Critical Journey, talks about this. The speaker on a retreat talked about this. And countless men and women in church history have talked about how the wall or the dark night is an essential piece of someone maturing in their faith and being transformed into the person God intends. It's in this time that God reveals the yearning of our hearts and reorients our yearning toward him. The crisis that we find ourselves in right now, it's like a global wall, a global dark night. We feel stuck in the dark, yet I believe God is wanting to do something profound in the lives of his people and in his church. Let me be clear, I I do not believe God is the author of evil. Uh, He's not the cause of the devastation that is impacting our world right now in this coronavirus, but I do believe God is sovereign and that he rules and reigns over all things and he is at work for our good and for his glory. Hear me, God is up to good. He is graciously getting us to realize that our greatest need is to have our interior renovated to have our souls centered upon him. Not to charge ahead, to be defined by what we do, but by who we are in him. Not to turn back the clock and hope for the good old days, but to sit with him in this transitional time where we come out moving in a renewed direction, personally and corporately. Not to run and hide, just biding our time till things pass by, but to live with courage, faith, and hope as we trust that God is up to good. In this season, we have decided as a church to spend time in the Psalms. Psalms are prayers, they're poems, they're songs that can give us words when we feel like we don't have the words. They're prayers that we can pray when we may not know how to pray. They're songs that we can sing when we may not feel like singing. This morning, we're going to look at a psalm that I've been meditating on now for quite a while, Psalm 24. It is a liturgical psalm, meaning that it would have been sung or spoken with a call and response as the people of God marched into Jerusalem to gather in the temple as they yearned for God's presence. So I'm going to ask you if you're able to stand, and I'm going to read Psalm 24, God's word to us this morning. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and those who dwell therein, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him who seek the face of the God of Jacob. 
Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your head, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Isaiah tells us that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word endures forever. Pray with me. Lord God, I I pray right now that you would come. Holy Spirit, draw us into the very presence of the living God. That you would make yourself known to our minds and to our hearts, that we would experience and encounter you, that you would speak to us, your spirit to our spirits, that because we've been with you, you would transform us, shape us, mold us. We pray now, even before we delve into this passage, that we would lift up our eyes, lift up our heads so that King Jesus might come in. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In my fourth year as the campus minister with RUF at UNC Chapel Hill, the president of the United States at the time, Barack Obama, was announced that he would come and speak on campus. The campus was buzzing with anticipation and excitement, and it was not a partisan buzz. Everyone was excited was excited and anticipating the arrival of the President of the United States. When the time of his arrival came, streets were barricaded, places on campus blocked off, students arrived hours before just to get a seat. They yearned to be part of history when the President spoke at their university. This all happened because someone very important was coming to the campus. If you remember the 2011 first Jurassic Park movie, the scene where they're driving in the car and they hear the boom, boom. And then you see the cup of water on the dashboard of the car start to shake, starts to tremble. It was signaling that something big is coming, something so big that the ground begins to move. Psalm 24, it is a psalm about God's presence with us. God's presence, something we should yearn for, something that causes our souls to tremble, the ground upon which we stand to turn into holy ground. We're going to look at this psalm and we're going to talk about two aspects of God's presence and then three things that result as we yearn for God's presence. Let's look first at two aspects of God's presence. The first in theological terminology is God's omnipresence. Look at verses one through two. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. God is the creator of the world. Therefore, the primary way that we behold the presence of God is through creation. He really does have the whole world in his hands. God has graced all of humanity with his creation. 
so that we can behold him when we behold that which he has created. John O'Donohue wrote that we live between the act of awakening and the act of surrender. I love that. We live between the act of awakening and the act of surrender, that each day we're invited into a new day to awaken to the beauty of God displayed in his creation, and we are invited to surrender to the creator God who is grander than we can imagine. Are you not drawn to the beach, the ocean? Are you not drawn to majestic mountains? We might never articulate it, but we love things that remind us we are small. C.S. Lewis said that nature creates a longing in the soul of man that it cannot fulfill. So we go to the Rocky Mountains and we feel small. And we think, surely there is something bigger than me, something mightier than me. There's something transcendent about this world. The Rocky Mountains do not solve the longing. It just helps us sense it. See, God's creation creates in us a yearning for him. In this this time of global crisis, I think one of the best things we can do is to accept God's invitation to awaken to the beauty of his creation and to surrender to him as creator. To take time to behold a landscape. Take time to garden in the yard. To take a walk on a wooded trail. To gaze at the face of another human being. For in creation, God is inviting us in the midst of this uncertainty, in the midst of feeling stuck, to behold him, to be with him. God's omnipresence. It is God everywhere in his totality, which means that God is all here in the same way that he is on the outskirts of the universe right now. He is everywhere at once in his fullness because the whole world is his. The second aspect of God's presence in theological terms is God's manifest presence. We see this in verse 3. Look at verse 3. It says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? This is different than God's omnipresence. This is the visible presence of God experienced. It's what we see throughout the Bible when we hear the exclamation, The Lord is here. The Lord is in our midst. It's what we see in Genesis 1 when the Spirit of God, the manifest presence of God, was hovering over the face of the waters. So we see when Moses beheld the burning bush, it was the manifest presence of God. The cloud by day and the pillar of fire at night that led Israel in the wilderness was the manifest presence of God. Now some commentators believe that 2 Samuel chapter 6 is the background of Psalm 24. That's where David, King David, is bringing the ark of God back into the city of Jerusalem. The ark of God was the manifest presence of God. David asks here in Psalm 24, who may stand in the holy place of God's manifested presence? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. Who may go into the manifest presence of God, the person who is completely good on the outside and the person who is completely good 
on the inside. Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. Well, then who can go into his presence? Not me. Not you. We are a people of unclean hands and unclean hearts, which is why Jesus, who is the presence of God incarnated, manifest, came to dwell among us. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says, He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the manifest presence of God. And Jesus lived a perfectly righteous life in obedience to the law of God. Jesus had clean hands and a pure heart. Not once did he lift his soul to something beside allegiance to his father. And Jesus died in our place because of our uncleanness, to bear our punishment, so that by faith in him, we might be forgiven and we might receive the blessing of his righteous life. It's verse 5, to receive the blessing of his righteousness. Now, don't miss that. This is the double blessing of salvation. We don't just receive forgiveness and then work hard to live a good life of righteous deeds. We are forgiven and we are granted his righteousness. So let's ask again, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can be in the manifest presence of God, the one who comes by, through, and in Jesus? And in Christ, we have access into this presence of God. So we pray, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Spirit of Christ, awaken our hearts to your presence as we pray, as we sing, as we read the word of God, as we fellowship with one another, as we partake of the bread and the wine at the Lord's Supper, which I deeply miss participating with with all of you on a Sunday morning and can't wait till we can do so again soon. You see, God is not absent from us. It is we who are absent from him. Our hearts, our souls have migrated to another place than God's presence. And so we pray and we seek his presence. Psalm tells us, verse 6, to seek him. Seek the face of the God of Jacob. We're to seek the face of God. We're to search for, call on, pursue, go after, yearn for the manifest presence, visible presence of God experienced. We see this word seek throughout the Bible. Psalm 40 says, all who seek you. Psalm 63 says, earnestly I seek you. Prophet Jeremiah chapter 29 says, you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Prophet Isaiah chapter 55 says, why spend money on that which does not satisfy? Seek the Lord. The gospel of Matthew, Jesus tells us to seek first his kingdom. Seek, it's a command. We are to go after God. We are to pursue his presence with all of our heart. We are to yearn for his presence. And as we yearn for his presence and we experience that the Lord is with us, our souls begin to shake and the ground becomes holy. And three things result in our lives that I want to point out. The first thing that's a result of this is that we participate in the restoration of God's world. Look at verse 2 again. It's, it's the Im imagery out of Genesis chapter 1. 
when the creator God pushes back the darkness, when the spirit of God was hovering over the dark waters and created his good world. The world in which we live now is broken, it's filled with darkness because of sin. But from Genesis chapter 3 to Revelation 22, all but two chapters of our Bible is all about how the creator God is restoring that which belongs to him, the whole world. See, Jesus came the first time to secure this restoration through his life, death, and resurrection. And he will come a final time to fulfill this restoration. So when God is gracious to draw us to faith in Jesus, to experience his presence, we are saved not from the world, but we are saved for the sake of the world. We are saved with the purpose to participate with God in his restoration plan for the world. And the way that God restores the world is by bringing his presence to bear on every square inch of his creation. So to yearn for God's presence is to yearn for his kingdom to come to earth as it is in heaven. We are agents of his restoration. We participate by God's grace and God's spirit to make his presence known by proclaiming Jesus as King and Savior in word and in deed. We are to rebuild all that is broken. We are to bring beauty where there is destruction. We are to execute justice where there is injustice. We are to extend peace where there is anxiety, offer comfort where there is pain, display love where there is hatred. See, God commissions all of us to share the hope that we have in Christ with others. Do you speak about your faith in Jesus to others? God commissions all of us to help feed those who are lacking food. It's like we're doing with Glenn Elementary and C.C. Spalding. Do you seek to show mercy and justice the way in which you live your life? God commissions all of us to use our jobs to make him known. Do you allow your faith in Jesus to animate your work? Do you allow the values of God and of his kingdom to influence how you do your work and the type of work that you do? God commissions all of us to be a neighbor who loves our neighbors with the type of love God has shown us. Do you stop for your neighbor or are you too busy? Do you listen when maybe they just need an ear? Do you ask questions to draw them out? Do you seek to provide in ways in which you are able? God commissions all of us to participate with him in his restoration plan for the world. The second result in our lives as we yearn for God's presence is that we experience relational intimacy with God. Do you realize that the creator God wants relationship with you more than anything? The whole point of creation our redemption and the final restoration is for us to know and experience intimacy with God. Eugene Peterson, who is someone that has deeply impacted me as a, as a pastor, if you've been around at all, Christ Central, you've heard me quote him, passed away in 2018. His son Leif spoke at the memorial service. Leif Peterson revealed that he used to joke with his father and tell him that he only had one sermon, one message, despite decades of creativity and sharing the Bible with people in new ways. It's almost laughable how you fooled them. 
how for 30 years every week you made them think you were saying something new, he said as a part of a poem addressed to his father at the service. He said, they, they thought you were a magician in your long black robe, hiding so much in your ample sleeves, always pulling something fresh and making them think that it was just for them. They didn't know how simple it, it all was. They were blind to your secret. Life Peterson said that he knew his father's secret, for his father had been telling him the secret message for 50 years. He said, for 50 years, you would steal into my room at night and whisper softly to my sleeping head, it's the same message over and over. God loves you. He's on your side. He's coming after you. He's relentless. Do you realize that God wants to be with you? That God loves you and delights in you? He longs to experience intimacy with you. The third result in our lives as we yearn for God's presence is that we respond with exuberant worship. Now imagine that 2 Samuel chapter 6 is the background of this psalm. King David is bringing the ark back to Jerusalem. The king is coming back from winning battle. As the king approaches Jerusalem, the heralds with him cry out, open the gate, open the doors. The people inside the citadel city would respond, who goes there? Who is this king? And the response would be, he is the king, mighty in battle. He is the victorious warrior king. And then news of this king would, would lead all who were inside the walls to erupt with cheer and celebration. So when you experience and you yearn for the presence of God, you will worship. You will not lift your soul up to anything less than him. You will shout and you will sing and you will have emotions in doing so. And what did David do when he was bringing the ark back to Jerusalem? David danced. David worshiped. I know all of you worship with emotions. Maybe not always on a Sunday morning, but you do inside Cameron or you do at the Dean Dome, or you do at the concert of one of your favorite musicians. Lift up your heads. Do you see the King of glory? King Jesus who conquered through a cross and whose power is displayed through the empty tomb. Welcome him into your life. As the King of glory comes in, may you sense that the ground is shaking. And may exuberant worship be our response. As I said earlier, I believe in many ways this time that we're in is a global wall, a global dark night. There was a young woman named Agnes. From the time she was a young girl, Agnes believed in Jesus. And not just believed, but Agnes was on fire for Jesus. She wanted to do great things for God. She said such things that she wanted to love Jesus as he had never been loved before. Agnes had an undeniable calling. She wrote in her journal that my soul at present is in perfect peace and joy. She experienced union with God that was so deep and so continual that to her it felt like ecstasy. She became a missionary and gave everything to God. After a while, however, it seemed as if God abandoned her. 
At least that's how she felt. She started writing with different words in her journal, words like, where is my faith? She asked, deep down, there's nothing but emptiness and darkness. My God, how painful is this unknown pain? I have no faith. She struggled to pray, yet she still worked and served and smiled. But she struggled at this wall, and it didn't seem to move. She didn't seem to move. The inner darkness continued almost year after year for nearly 50 years. God seemed absent. This was the secret pain of Agnes, who was better known as Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa wrote letters on the torment of her soul. After her death, they were published to many people's surprise. These letters stunned people. Some said she lost her faith, others that she struggled with clinical depression. Spiritually, she hit a wall. And we know now what she didn't always feel then, that God was doing a mighty, mighty work in her and through her. God is using this global crisis, this moment that is a wall that might feel like a dark night to shape every single one of us. He is transforming our hearts to no longer root our identity in what we do, even what we do for him, but who we are in him. God is leading us into new pastures, greener pastures. He's doing a new work. Let's not go backwards. And let's be honest, back for many of us and for many churches, at least here in America, was just cultural Christianity. Might I say complacency. And so I'm excited that God is doing something new. And God is calling us to surrender to him, to surrender not to our fears and our anxieties that lead us to hide, but to surrender to him who has promised us a kingdom that will never be shaken. I wonder in the many years ahead how people will view this time of great pause and how people will describe us who went through it. I am praying that we would be known as a generation that is not content with comfortable cultural Christianity, but a generation filled with burning hearts who yearn for the presence of God, a generation that seeks the face of God. Let's pray. Lord God, I ask that you would come in a powerful, real, experienced way in ways that may be new and fresh. And for some of us, that's believing and trusting and experiencing you for the first time. For some of us, that's realizing that we thought we knew you, but maybe we never have. And you need to awaken our souls like you not before. For others of us, that's just giving us an awareness right now where it feels dark and we feel lonely and uncertain that you would renew us and strengthen us and root us in who we are in you. Your love that abounds to us, the promises that we have in you, the, the hope that we have in a kingdom that is to come. Would your presence be manifest in a real way that we might be transformed? King Jesus, would you come and, and move and work? It's your name we pray.